Welcome to another episode of Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today, we have Jesse Bulmer, a very accomplished cartoonist and illustrator who currently works in freelance in the animation industry. I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, How you doing? Doing alright. <clears throat> what you uh, work? What you work on today? Uh, just working on Adventure Time. Uh, drawing a gothic skyscraper. That is very challenging. Background. Yeah. Is that what you're doing currently? And what exactly is this? An Adventure Time spinoff? Yeah, it's just, well, I mean, I, I guess I technically can't get into too much detail, but it's, oh. a, spin-off. it's a spinoff involving um, Fiona and Cake. Um, I believe that is all that has been announced. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's a, it's kind of a good starting point because in, in a sense, Adventure Time is what, the inspiration of that show is what made you get your shit together. Is that accurate? That is accurate. That remains true. Will always be true. Seeing seeing the artists who was, were working on that show, uh, and just like their output and their skill level, definitely made me reorient. And that manifested in a grueling home test. Was it a home test, like a storyboard test kind of thing? Um, well, I did so like, God, I kind of wonder what year this was, but, oh man, I really don't even know. It must've been 2012 maybe, um, or 2013. I got a storyboard test and it was, that was grueling. I like was not at the level yet and I was, you know, very amateurish, but I was still looking at those people and wanting to be you know, involved in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it was Moynihan maybe who pointed them at me and took the test. It was goofy. I was pretty proud of it though. And it definitely like working on it was, you know, I learned a lot, but uh, you know, ultimately when I look back at it, it's pretty embarrassing. And of course didn't get the job. I think that's when they hired Steve Wolfhard, who's like one of the greatest of all mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, I bow to him still. And, uh, yeah. And then like three years later, I got a test to do, um, one of the designers, this girl, Joy Ang. Um, she recommended me for design position and there were two open. So I just tested for both and got the background design. Okay. I forgot that. Cause I think I recall you working on that storyboard test yeah that was that was well before i was employed yeah and then I, I remember you getting it and being drained of your soul for the first two weeks uh Just exa- exhausted when i first started working on backgrounds 
I don't know if it was backgrounds or, or just working there in general. I think you were just being incredibly ambitious and going I, I too mean, hard. Well, that was when I first started in the office. Like I was uh, pretty, pretty normal. I mean, they, they only give you like 10 backgrounds a week or so when mm-hmm. you uh, first start and like are doing freelance. So that's what I was doing. And that was fine. And then, uh, yeah, when I first got hired proper and like showed up at the office, I was so excited <laughs> and so <laughs> over earnest that I did some insane number that I will never, ever match. Um, I think I did like 23 backgrounds in a week, which was absurd. My hand hurt and my mm-hmm, supervisor, mm-hmm. my supervisor pulled me aside and was like, Hey man, you don't need to be, you don't need to be doing that. Right. Like that makes everybody look bad. No one wants to work that hard. You're probably going to hurt yourself. Like don't <laughs> like right, good right. job. Good job, but don't do that. And previous to that, you fancied yourself a fecal face kind of, uh, Bay area <laughs> artist, right? I mean, that was the goal. That was kind of the goal. I like in high school and yeah, while well, I was going to, community college i definitely like looked at all those bay area like skate artists as the coolest of the cool um and you know some of them i still do but uh you know i was looking at like uh that dude michael sieben and travis millard guys who did like you know skateboard graphics and stuff um and they, they had fine art careers as well and i just thought it was it just seemed like the coolest thing ever just kind of like ugly, <laughs> colorful artwork. And there was something appealing about it to my young mind. What do you think caused that transition? Uh, from being excited by those things to not anymore. Yeah, I mean, you could be excited by them, but deciding that you should do something else. Well, I mean, it was years of struggling and like trying to be in art shows and like never selling work and just not making any money, only burning money. Mm-hmm. Um, you so think it's fi- financial or? Strictly? Oh yeah, it was definitely financial. It was it was like a purely pragmatic decision at a certain point where I was mm-hmm. just like, clearly, I'm not going to like make it doing this. Like, I could do this for as long as I want. I don't make the kind of work that's that gets popular, and I'm like too introverted to be like an art personality, which is, you know, something I've always, you know, known about myself. Um, so I just, I just realized it wasn't going to happen probably. But it wouldn't be accurate to say that, let's say you had infinite money at that age and you mm-hmm. could have just kept making that kind of work. Would you think you would have kept doing that as opposed to pursuing a career in animation? I think so, honestly, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think I I probably would have kept doing it. It was I was really into process, and I was having a great time making work at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like, in some ways, like, miss my relationship to art making then. Um, and, I, you know, like, obviously I've grown a lot, and I'm happy with where I'm at. But, like, yeah, I think, you know there would have been trade-offs. Like I probably would have, if you're kind of doing that kind of art career, I think people get, you know, and this is something I thought about a lot. Then people get pigeonholed and they just make work. that's kind of the same forever. And, you know, 
I hope that wouldn't have happened to me if I had infinite money and just kept making work. But, you know, the thing I really enjoy about what I've embarked on is just like that it is sort of a endless skill ceiling. So I can just continue to attempt to ascend. Right. I mean, the pigeonholing tends to occur because it's almost like brand recognition. So it's a financially safe move. So in this hypothetical where you have infinite money, I suppose you could avoid it. But it also is is like beyond that, people are very comfortable thinking they know who someone else is. And so if they can feel that way about an artist, it makes them feel good. Oh, I know who you are. I know what you make. I know what that is. And you can betray them and... (laughs) They take it very personally. (laughs) But, you know, Negron is a great uh, example of uh, I'm glad he he continued on that path since you since you two collaborated. And I remember talking to him at one point and and he was fancying, you know, rubbing up against, I think, some kind of animation job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for him it was financial, too, though. It's like it's just at a certain point it's pragmatic. And, you know, like when you're struggling in fine art like, and you look over at these people who like can't afford a nice apartment and like can like easily buy a car and do all these things, have health insurance, all this shit that just like, you know, when you're a kid, you just like don't even and you're an artist, you don't even think you'll ever need. And then you start getting older and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right. But right. But but yeah, like I think ultimately he has, you know because he has kept with it for so long it's uh starting to like take off for him which i think is fantastic i know he's been traveling doing shows in europe and stuff so yeah well i also think that personalities fit these fields better and so that's why i'm a little surprised to hear that you would have potentially pursued that because it, it seems like you're in a, a place that fits your personality well. For sure. That, you know what I mean? But I like right now, like all I can think about is like, I want to do like, it would be so fun to just make like paint paintings, you know, like I'm, I mm. do, I do fantasize about that. And that was always like at the back of my mind. Like, I'm just like, Oh, maybe gain clout in this other area. And then people will kind of take you seriously for these other reasons that you've like fostered in a, you know, in a different field. And then, Hopefully you can uh, capitalize on that like later. So it was just like a biding my time kind of thing. And I don't know that that's a reality at all. I don't. Yeah. Those, those two fields, one might undermine the other. And if you're looking for like a, you know, outside of like a fecal, I don't know what is the new fecal face, but um, for whatever reason, I think making fine art coming out of it. I don't think anything really replaced it, honestly, like that, that I feel like it was such a kind of a cool pocket of that kind of gross space. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of, I mean, I guess I also just am not paying attention at all anymore. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe, maybe nothing did and maybe nothing should have because it certainly ran its course. Sure. I think we all know that, (laughs) you know, but it had a good regional identity, whether I like, I like some of the work, but what was nice is that you could say, oh, that's from that physical location pretty clearly from that location, from that time very much. There was like a, 
you know, skate, indie music, art kind of, I don't know, realm trifecta. Yeah. I mean, do you think that the desire to make a painting stems from just the, the desire to work slower? I'm sure animation is very quick turnarounds. Yeah. Um, I think that's a part of it. It's also just, you know, like taste, you know, for, for me, like, I definitely am like moving away from wanting to draw, like to have like my Instagram feed be like characters, you know, like, and like drawing like, like cool sci-fi guys and cool fantasy guys. Like I, I, I like having this, the ability to do that stuff, but it's like, that's not what really attracts me right now. Like you want to uh, get away from the, the profile golden boys <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I just, I am I, like the things that are appealing to me now, the things that I want to look at are, tend to be in that space a bit more and in like, yeah, more the fine art, like really great paintings. Like I uh, look at like Canadian landscape painting and I'm like, those guys for the life. Are you talking like, was it Lauren Harris? That kind I mean, of stuff. Unfortunately, I'm not well versed enough to name names, but I have I have a few books that I will look at periodically and get me super in the mood. I think if I I think that's it because he was part of a group called the Group of Seven. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like those those guys, those people, and then and then and that surrounding movement. I would say, and I, there are definitely other artists. But. Do you think that's related to drawing these backgrounds? N- no, no, not really. Unfortunately, like if if I if if the show were a different kind of show, maybe, but it's, yeah, that's, stylistically, that's not what's happening at all. Right. You have no desire to depict figures within these landscapes. You want to simply um, do la- landscape no, I, painting. That's not that's not exactly what I'm saying. I think I just mean to say that those are the things that inspire me right now. Those are the that's the kind of work that inspires me. Is is like fine art that has taken the artist kind of a longer time and and you know i would love to like refocus on color and things like that things that i haven't thought about in a while right do you have any actual plan as how you would arrive at that uh like painting yeah how you would carve out a space for that in your life or when it would happen I don't have a plan. Um, it is currently just a fantasy, but uh, I know what the work would look like. And <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's something I've only just started thinking about somewhat seriously. So it's it's a relatively new idea, but it would be fun to share a studio with a buddy or something and, and a buddy. Go, make, go make work on, on the weekends or something. Would you go back? Well, we've talked about this before, but would you go to art school? I, is, that, is that still there? Is that desire still there? No, I don't think so. Don't was think it there? Am I imagining that? I feel like it was there briefly. There was a moment maybe, but I, I think that was more to do with just like technical skill. And you know, there's like, there's definitely still a few areas where I feel lacking and it would be really nice to have like some really solid, solid practice. And it would be, you know, it'd be like, it's definitely a fantasy to like go to school, like animation school and 
Europe or something, but I don't imagine that will actually happen. I mean, it could. Yeah, I guess it could. It certainly could. But I'm not pursuing it. Right. Yeah, I mean, can you speak a bit about the OC? Um, what, what that like means to you? Being raised there? <laughs> you think it's I mean, you think it shows in in some ways? No, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, in, in reaction a, to it. Yes, definitely, like a sort of a ideally an opposite reaction, but because um, you just have know. a strictly antagonistic relationship to it. That's Orange County for people who don't know. I don't have a strictly antagonistic relationship. I, I have a. I don't think about it that much or that hard, but. I like am grateful ultimately that I grew up there. It's a, it was like a very nice place to grow up. I definitely had a moment when I was like first looking at lots of fine art in high school and just like seeing these people who were making certain kinds of work. And I was just like, where are they, where are they drawing from? I feel like I don't have this, like this well that some of these people are drawing from just because I lived a fucking <laughs> very pleasant, had a very pleasant childhood. So um yeah i would say oc fantastic place to grow up loved having access to the beach uh took advantage of it and then at a certain point you know you get old enough and you just kind of see what it is culturally and i had to get the fuck out of there so i did when you go back do you love it I mean, my mom has a nice little haven that's not really couched in any of the kind of gross parts of Orange County. It's like, it lives in Dana Point, which is kind of a slightly funkier neighborhood. It's not like she doesn't live in one of these like gated communities mm-hmm. or like it's not super, she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, she's like definitely like middle class. So she's not a part of the like moneyed Republican scene down there, um, which I think is what many people associate it with i know so little about it but it's interesting to talk about and it i it reminds me that you're a beach man which sometimes i forget yeah yeah. you yeah. seem like a woodsman not like a lumberjack but <laughs> i i feel yeah i mean every time i go down there i don't spend that much time thinking about the beach in my life these days but every time i get in the water i'm like oh my god yes i am a beach man yeah this is if i'm not it'll do that to you it's crazy like i every time i'm in the water i just like what am i like wasting my life not doing this every day being in water yes yeah well there's a couple ways to get there sure several ways (laughs) but what about the desire to have one's own show is that still there uh yeah yeah i'm i'm kind of roughly i will like work on things periodically that but i just nothing tends to hold my interest for very long and i feel like if the thing doesn't hold my interest long enough to like write a series of outlines then i'm it's doomed to fail but uh yeah definitely that that's a fantasy still and i i'm working on loosely something right now and have i'm like better positioned to pitch it to a variety of people than I've ever been. So uh, that will, that's something that I will be doing this year. Almost certainly. Does it involve these tiny wizard men? Oh, well, goblins. Yeah. Goblins. 
Is it a goblin comedy? It is a goblin. It's not a comedy. <laughs> it's like a, it's a genre. It's like an ambient, goblin ambient goblin story yeah. with very little dialogue. Is it like? Is it? Uh, I, I think you showed me that Rainbow Goblin book. I don't remember. It's called the. <laughs> is it called the Rainbow yeah. Goblins? It's called the Rainbow Goblins. Yeah, no, it's it's not like that. <laughs> That's a good one. Those goblins are terrifying. Those are very, yeah, elevo, horrible. very, very Olivo guys. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> but that's what comes out of me. <laughs> but, little, little scoundrels. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool. I mean, I think your vision is idiosyncratic enough where it should have its own show. Now, not to say that that actually, I, it clearly seems to me, like, I don't know much about Pendleton Ward's work, but it's not, it doesn't, if you were to just show me his visual work, you know, it's like a feed of his work, a Tumblr or something. I certainly would not have, uh, even content wise, it wouldn't jump out at me as something extraordinary. He's, he is a, he is a, his skills are very funny animation, like very funny and just visually mm-hmm. like hilarious visual ideas. And his writing is just, incredibly instantly the funniest so he just is like a comedy genius i think Do you have, yeah so like what would the you know you're pitching this goblin ambient track <laughs> is it funny it has no. to be funny no no it's really not it's like it's, we're going to be pitching it to some people who like this kind of thing so and like to make this kind that? of thing uh, i mean that? it's for it's or we can't def- talk about it uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But we can't talk about that guy. <laughs> we can't. We can't. Yeah. I. I just will say, it is definitely an answer to a lot of like loud, you know. Okay. Yeah. Fast-paced storytelling that dominates children's media. So I, I would like it to be kind of, you know, like a mini series format, like ten episode thing that just like has an ending and feels like a fable. Uh, right. That's good. And, and just kind of explores this world and is, will be ideally fascinating enough visually for it to kind of hold people's attention. Yeah. And then, that's, and that's then ideally, yeah. ideally this main character is like cute enough and, and appealing enough that you sort of are compelled to see where he goes and what he sees and all these things. So yeah, I think slowing it down, making it quiet it all makes sense there's there's a it's just too much there's yeah. so much horrible animation i'm, I'm, yeah, speaking, I'm like i'm speaking I'm, morally almost it's like a it's an immoral thing to do almost <laughs> well i mean it, it's just it's not i don't think it's immoral i don't people i don't think people intend it as immoral it's like it is just what tests well and what you know it's like what holds attention of so you know, it's it will definitely be sort of a hard sell making, you know, oh, something, I, I, something yeah. that's slower and like deliberately beautiful and like, uh, you know, it, it's like inevitably it'll be like more expensive to make what I am thinking it might look like. And so I don't, it'll, be, it'll honestly will be a tough sell, but I will, I will feel uh, like I failed if I don't 
at least yeah, put yeah. A, pitch, a pitch together and just be like, this is what needs to be made right now. I certainly don't mean to imply that there's intention behind that supposed immorality I speak of, but I do think that when you lessen the attention span of humans and you, uh, it has like this snowball effect of just basically making people less resistant to, yeah, yeah. Intelligent, autonomous, um, resistant to bad ideas. It's almost like a mob mentality that's born from this lack of for sure focus. It's very easy to like go conspiracy on it and be like, Oh, absolutely. (laughs) There's a concerted effort to make people worse, but it's just, just, I think it, it does probably make people easier to sell to and more predictable somewhat. And that seems to be the, I don't know, the goal to some degree. I mean, part of the beauty of, not that these are spoken about often of capitalism is if you were to pitch your show, it may very well do great because it's kind of flipping the current trend. So I think there is often a balance. I think a lot of things work like that. And, you know, people used to talk about podcasts, be like, no one's going to listen to three hours, four hour podcasts. You know, they want like 10 second, one minute clips it's so hard to predict human behavior on that mm-hmm. level. But, you know, when I think about pacing, a show that comes to mind for me is Samurai Jack, because it has a strange mix of both of those things. Yeah, I, I agree. That's definitely, I mean, certainly that'll be a reference point. Um, I, I mean, it, it won't have like pure, such pure, like fun action. But uh, I want there to be a few like set PC moments in there to to keep it you know so there's a little bit of uh activity and energy but not too much yeah what a truly unique show that was yeah it really was he uh the guy who made that um just yeah. released a new a new show called primal yeah i tried it you should also try to pronounce his name if you remember it because it's a tough know. one it's a tough one. Gendy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tartakovsky. <laughs> it's know. pretty good. Primal was, Primal was not interesting to me or visually compelling somehow, and that's my fault. I'll take that one. Uh, no. Take I the mean, blame on that. That's all right. I <laughs> it It is pretty hideous to me <laughs> as well. I don't, I, I like kind of hate like Western graphic sensibilities a lot. So, or like, what do you, you know, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, or like, uh, I mean, Nickelodeon, like Cartoon Network. I, I just like the aesthetics of a lot of the shows are really like, really, I hate them so much. It's wow. There's so many terrible, <laughs> terrible styles at play. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's like, I just don't, I don't love the way cartoons look here very much. Here as opposed to, uh, I mean, like, well, I just am thinking of like European comics where cartoons are a little bit more thoughtful and designs are a little bit more appealing and uh, a little bit more intentional. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the visual ideas are sort of like based in this, like, nineteen 
fifties era illustration or I don't know. I, I honestly don't know enough to talk about this in an intelligent way, but I just when I think of like Dexter's lab, I just like hate the way that show looks. <laughs> there was <laughs> there was two distinct phases of that show. I remember if, I if was, you recall. Yeah, yeah. I, but I was I remember one time I was going off on another show <laughs> to this one artist. Uh, that I knew in San Francisco, and this girl was like, "Oh, yeah, my brother created that show." <laughs> nice. I, was, I was like, oh. no, "It doesn't make it any less true." I think oh, what happens God. is uh, you can actually feel the condescension in the animation style, and by that I mean the thinking that a child is stupid and that they aren't deserving of content or form that is a little more sophisticated and asks them to step up to it. And I think even in illustration, I always thought American illustration was, well, I had a hard time getting it, but European illustration was much more open to stranger ideas and deeper ideas. So there's something at play there. Um, you know, I have much less knowledge of what's going on there, but yeah, I I'm going to sound like a total idiot if I try and like do any sort of analysis right now, but go ahead. I, I have a, no, no, I'm just saying I have a, I have a sense. I, I have a sense. Of yeah. Yeah. Sense, but I just, I can't, uh, I don't have any, <laughs> any names or references to back it up. I just know what I see and feel. Yeah. So besides these Canadian painters, what other influences have you got going on right now? Uh, influences. I mean, we don't need to. That word is. I mean, like, like, yeah, just like, like, like children's book illustration that sort of, you know, is beautiful. Um, contemporary. Uh, mostly like, no, mostly not contemporary. I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a period of time where I was like really actively collecting children's books and and looking at lots of that illustration and just really enjoying you know the kinds of shapes that show up and there's like soft i just really am enjoying like soft tones and mm. and smooth shapes and uh i don't oh. know elegance <laughs> <laughs> i like elegance and beauty michael do you think jess yeah you're yeah do you think fecal face Jesse Balmer would think, you know, this Jesse Balmer was lame for that? <laughs> no, I think he would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he would. I, I mean, I think fecal face Jesse Balmer just drew kind of to the best of his ability. I feel like I've, I've learned a lot and gotten a lot better at drawing. So. That was that. That was always kind of at the center of my work. So I'm sure I would have recognized that and been like, "Good for him." Well, the the content was darker and more overtly high schooly existential angst. Yeah, it's very you stupid. know deeply stupid. It was yeah. stupid in some ways. It was. It just was. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's. <laughs> I guess what I was, I'm trying to get at is like I don't know where we could start from the beginning. Like you, you grew up as a child and you thought you're going to be an artist. I know you had a uncle who was an artist. So does that have some relation to that? I had a, a grandfather. Who was grandfather, an grandfather. Um, and my my dad was your an dad. Artist. 
right. as well. And, uh, you know, never, never made a, a career go at it, but, um, you know, always was doing it casually while I was growing up and yeah, definitely saw that. And like, just got into the process and was just like, I would like sit and watch my dad draw for hours and just really like get giddy about it. I was, I loved it so much watching him. Like, Oh, you wouldn't draw with him. You would watch him. I mean, I would like, I would also draw, but I, w- I would, I would definitely watch him without doing anything mm-hmm. just cause I was like so fascinated by the next line. Um, why yeah. do you think he stopped drawing? Just having children? I mean, he, yeah, I, I think he got into, like, his, his like, practice kind of changed as I grew up. Like, he, for a long time, was doing Christmas cards, and that was, like, his big art endeavor that he did every year. And, and he, like, got really into it and, hmm. you know, would go to Kinko's and, like, make these, like, color copies of them and elaborate like uh, prismacolor illustrations and then he would like, mount them on uh he would reproduce them and then mount them on cardstock and send these like beautiful christmas cards to all of our relatives and friends uh, i like was, that kind of integration yeah it's really nice um and you know his his style and his like sense of humor is also like pretty uh what would I call it? It's kind of crude, I guess. And so mm-hmm. I think that that probably informed my thinking and my sort of sensibilities growing up. Um, well, he likes Oingo of, Boingo, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. So like the music and the and the work that I was looking at from him, and it was always very like, yeah, in in this crude area that I, I think I just followed that somewhat and i don't know i'm also i also think that artists draw ugly when they don't know how to draw pretty so uh, i i also just saw that as like a maturing i guess i think that's true i mean not always not always but for me it was i like one i i eventually was like it would be nice to be able to create something that people really want to look at you know that aren't like teenagers yeah even i the ugliest of drawers is is realizing that sentiment you know in the sense of like well it makes sense right you got uh, no skill sets you're starting to draw you want attention because you're mm-hmm. at a certain age so what do you draw you draw a thing that shocks people or, sure. in one way or another <laughs> and i mean the sim- the simplest way to th- the, for me is like try to draw a beautiful woman her face yeah. or yeah, try exactly. to draw a man from the woods with a beard and a mustache and he's all raggly and you can draw 150 lines and fuck up 99 of them and it's probably going to look decent with the woman exactly. you got basically five lines yep and if you don't know how to draw and it reveal the interior form of a face. You're you're doing nothing. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good point that you know. I do think it matters if it's a choice. You know, if if it's a choice to draw a beautiful thing or an ugly thing, it's very different. If Picasso is drawing crudely, when at fifteen he can draw better realistically yeah. than like anyone. 
Yes. That you know, not anyone, but most people. Yeah. And uh, it always lends credibility. Lends credibility and depth. Yeah. You know, it's like the choice of not beating the shit out of someone when you can versus just being so weak you can't. <laughs> just like that. But beauty, man. I mean, you have to you have to experience genuine beauty too. And at a certain age, you although you may grow up in the OC, you don't know the contrast per se. And so, I don't know if you can experience beauty until later. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the kinds of things that a kid is interested in tend to be sort of yeah. I mean, that is like that that crudeness that ugliness all that stuff is like really weirdly appealing when you're young and then as you get older you just tend to move toward things that soothe your aching mind yeah (laughs) at least at least i do i i always want to look at things that make me feel calm and listen to music that makes me feel calm so right it's a lot harder to i mean i never like noise music or even metal um, I definitely like a lot of really loud, <laughs> really hateful music, and yeah. I can still I can still get there and get into it, but it's largely, uh, yeah. I like I just I like to feel I like to make myself feel good with what I with, with the media I intake. Yeah, well, beauty is a form of magic, and we were talking about magic the other day. We were. And it's interesting to me that you want, you you fancy yourself a magician? Um, or wizard? Not exactly, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I certainly, I wish I thought about it in those terms. I feel like I probably should, but. You want uh, to uh, amplify the magic of the world. Sure. I think, I think that's a, a very like noble goal and, and distilled sort of, uh what an artist is i mean not every artist obviously many artists aren't aren't trying to do that and are trying to make you question all kinds of different things but uh, for me definitely i would i would place the most value in like adding something into that space that that makes people see and feel uh like awe or connect a little bit more with their their kind of spiritual thinking. Yeah, like the moon reflects the sun and it's not a emitting light itself. A good artist, a real artist, is simply reflecting some divine energy or you could call it nature, God, whatever. But it's what I'm saying is an egoic artist thinks themselves alone and they try to develop their own thing and more and more, I think that as a fallacious, that a good one is humble, acknowledges what it's reflecting, yeah, and isn't trying to reinvent beauty, which is sure. ridiculous, or rejecting it, or and oh, yeah. uh, just very egocentric and very like I don't I don't even know like I've, I guess we've talked a lot about like legacy, and I guess that's probably what that what you're thinking about when you're trying to reinvent and and. I think you it's when you look at like great artists frequently they have on some level like done that and like when you look at art history like so it's easy to sort of put that idea on a pedestal but 
I sort of let go of the idea of greatness and <laughs> so yeah, like that's, that's humble tough. humble beauty maker is uh is a is a fine it's a fine uh directive for me I refuse to let go of greatness, but I think semantically we may be speaking of different things by greatness, I just mean the highest uh manifestation of your potential no yeah no i'm I'm talking about greatness in terms of legacy like. Uh, and, and and living on in human memory like that's that that metric is something that i i don't even know if i ever really cared that much or like saw <laughs> that as realistic i just like was not raised a very ambitious person so i just i never really needed that i guess but uh you know i think a lot of people see a career an art career kind of in that context to some degree and like if you're not influencing the culture at large like what are you doing which is yeah i get it i get both perspectives um but i think you know i i think you know growing up in the sort of internet age and getting to sort of be a part of these like micro art communities that just kind of allows you to see the reality, which is that there's no way you're going to like, it's very unlikely you're going to touch everyone. But like, if you can just have be respected within a small community, that's plenty. That's all you have to keep doing, but but is doing it in your thirties. Um, now I don't, I can't speak to what you're doing because you work within a company that has many artists that you look up to. But for most people, that wouldn't be true. And uh, it's easier in college. Although a lot of people don't even seek out people who are better than them. And those people aren't usually very good. Sure. I don't know if the makeshift community of, you know, looking at other people's work on Instagram or Tumblr inspires one enough to keep going. In that, in that respect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely have to be very interested for that to be, uh, helpful, but I mean, it, it, it worked for me and it still can not, not in the same ways. Obviously there's like, I think everyone's pretty jaded at this point by that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that, that, yeah. Just by, by those communities and by the way those platforms operate. So it's just like, there isn't, it doesn't feel quite as connected as maybe it once did. But. Yeah, it's in- interesting how innocent Tumblr appeared. I'm not sure it was or wasn't, but it certainly I mean, didn't reek of the same things. Well, I mean, neither did Instagram. It just, it's, you know, they all these platforms figured out what to do with the data. And now it's just like so overt and feels so yeah. <laughs> rapey. It's hard to, to care. Yeah. You know, I think I think Miyazaki is one of those people who puts that pressure on what we were just talking about. Like he somehow embodies, I'm sure we both think this, he somehow embodies a tone and a certain moral ambivalence and complexity that it seems like the apex. Because there's grotesque things that aren't that grotesque. There's beautiful things that are actually beautiful. There's characters that are quote unquote ugly, although it's hard for him to make a truly ugly thing. And uh, looking at that level of greatness, which I think we could call that greatness in both senses, it seems like mm-hmm. a cor- corrosive, 
kind of greatness um, and just peak performance greatness. Sure. It's interesting at a certain point you look at that and you go, uh, wow, I'm never going to even, you can, there's a certain age where you can, maybe it's later twenties where you just go, okay, maybe I'm in the NBA, but I'm not, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't even feel like I'm in the NBA, to be honest. But <laughs> I'm not but yeah, I mean that's that's a much harder to know in the art. But art it's, uh, for me it's the art of not letting that bother me. Uh but yeah, no, totally. Uh that is I mean I just see those works as like a an undeniable um, sort of high point and, you know, seeking anything toward that direction is great. But like, you know, I think you've talked about this a lot, just like, I'm, I'm also not really willing to be the artist who sacrifices literally everything for their work, which he definitely does and did. So he, his career was at the expense of everything else in his life. And, right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not terribly appealing to me. Do you envy him? No. Do you envy him? No, I'm, I'm, I'm like happy for him. <laughs> I envy, no, I, not really. I don't, who would I envy? Um, for me, like, all right, it's envy's not worth it because you, you don't have enough information ever to understand what the other person had to do or sacrifice or what they experienced. But I mean, anyone who's like really good and has a cool life. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I guess abstractly, I abstractly envy like Mobius. It seems like he's like a good normal man with like, I think he had like four kids and, mm-hmm. and then he just had this like this monumental practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, totally. That's yes. That is enviable. I don't, yeah, I, I don't imagine I will be running that race. <laughs> so, no, no, it's uh, not a matter of that. I think it's, uh, an envy might be the wrong word, but it's important to remember that there are, le- there are always levels that you can go up. And yeah, I don't think they always have to be climbed in this unhealthy way where, which Miyazaki might or may or may not do. I'm not sure. But I think at a certain point, you might start to think that that sacrifice isn't worth it. And I don't know if you necessarily stagnate, but you just remain. It's a question of like if being content is a bad thing or not. I mean, he does not seem like a content man. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. That's my, <laughs> that's that's not, my point. That is that's not contentment. Point. He is a he is a tortured soul making that which he which the cosmos require him to create. He has no choice. Right. I mean, to me, it's so evident that he's a, a vessel for true true magic. And uh, you know, I, I every time I think about Miyazaki, I get like sad because I'm just like the fact that he's a mortal man is such a mm-hmm. loss <laughs> such a terrible loss it's also sad that something like that can die i know i know i think about that 
like Norm Macdonald, for some reason, for me, when he died, I was like, it's just weird to me that he can die. <laughs> Miyazaki and Norm Macdonald. <laughs> well, he's just so innocent. Giant. In well, Norm was, I love Norm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's... but there's something about him that's like, it doesn't seem like he should be able to die. Sure. And, and same thing with Miyazaki's work. Obviously, animation is, takes tons of people and yeah. there's a lot of great artists there. But, uh, yeah, well, he captures something. And I've read a bunch of, I mean, you've probably read the same books by him about him. Yeah. That moral ambivalence, or that ambivalence, actually, it's it's like the bedrock of what he does is what's missing from a lot of children's animation. Yeah. It's like they want to, and this is actually the issue I have with hippie thinking in general, or sometimes new age stuff, is like they want to conveniently slice out the dark stuff and present the sugar. How dare you? One second. I'm very. I'm extremely sorry. I need to uh, just give me one second. Oh well. This is what I'm talking about. You can't get rid of this kind of thing. You just can't do it. All right, we're good. We're good. I'm sorry. There was an alarm that went off, and you try to get rid of it. It made you drop out. Comes right back in. We're good. Sorry. What were you saying? I am so sorry. Oh (laughs) wow. I was just talking about the the fact that a lot of modern children's cartoons and books try to remove that ambivalence that dark and light and just try to present that light and it ends up being this washed out product is a good word because it's well it's just like a sugary representation of a false thing yeah even more so now where you know everyone's very very concerned with how things will be received online um Right. Just like fear of backlash, et cetera. It's just like it is uh, a hard time to make things that might yeah, Have come depth. up. Yeah, just like and and any ambiguity about where things stand morally and, and things like that. It's just like you must the meet the work must Yes, comply. Make your make your political ideas known and if you're not saying something about rights, what are you saying? Right. And right, right. And uh, that's why I want a lot of money. You know, sure. I didn't really, well, I never really wanted money for, I suppose, shallow reasons. They don't, those things don't, hedonism doesn't interest me, but protection of just like basic things like, you know, being able to make something with depth that might be somewhat controversial at some point yeah. and uh, not have your whole life ruined. I feel yeah. like you got to be stockpiling a decent amount of money or at least building a community that knows who you actually are. Totally. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. It's a great motivator. Building, creating cancelable media. I mean... That doesn't, it doesn't take much to go there, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, there'll be a backlash. Everything is pendular and like soon we'll have obnoxious shows that are just trying to be offensive. I'm sure that'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, on, uh, well, on, on, um, 
Ben, ben Shapiro's network. We'll have Spike, a, Spike TV. Yeah, Spike yeah. TV. Ben Shapiro's Spike TV show. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be exactly <laughs> what that is. That's that's filling that niche. What about this? Um, we might both relate to this as well. This idea, the pessimism of the intellect, but the optimism of the will. Do you relate to this? This is what I think is in Miyazaki's work as well. It's like, you can sit there all day and your mind can tell you things are going downhill, things are getting worse, Mm -hmm. but then your behavior represents something different. And I always thought making, waking up and making art, especially if it's beautiful art, Mm-hmm. There's a lot of will involved in that. And yeah. frankly, what one thinks and says is of very little importance. Um, in fact, when you read Miyazaki interviews, he's so much uh, more le- pessimistic. Than yeah, his work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, totally. And less, uh, I think, even nuanced. Maybe the work is the best way for him to express that ambivalence. It, it, it clearly is. Yeah. <laughs> not, he is not a skilled speaker. Uh, he's a good writer, all things considered. Honestly, no, no, for sure, yeah. for sure. I'm just saying it's uh, it, you know, when he's talking, he he lets his pessimism sort of take over, and you know, it's like I do kind of think that he's like, oh, like somewhat self aware, and I think that he, I think that that care that character kind of reminds me of like Roman, who is like so <laughs> negative, so negative. It's funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if Roman still plays that character, but. It's been too long. He's probably just happy now. I hope so. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you know, I think, I think there's like a self-aware kind of for comedic effect thing happening there is maybe what I suspect a little bit. So hopefully he's not that fucking dark. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, you know, a lot of an aspect of his career that's very important is the fact that hand-drawn animation was still occurring when he was on his rise. And obviously I think Mononoke is the first instance of CG on the boar with the little, uh, tentacles. I think that's CG. And he's like, I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. I think there's an interview where he's like, I regret doing that, you know? Sure. Um, but do you have any, so like I used to fight against using the, the tablet and, digital processes i still have like a weird feeling about it but it's so goddamn convenient it's hard but do you what's your relationship to that and like do you care i'm sure you're drawing these backgrounds like they're fully digital right fully digital i i like i definitely would i tried for a moment to keep things um a little bit traditional when i first started and would just like try doing little sketches and like just like do thumbnails basically on post-its and things like that just because it's like it really is so much faster for my brain to think at that scale and have this like have this one-to-one just like relationship whereas you know it's it's the it's this the infinite scaling of the we're not infinite but you know just this like zoom in zoom out thing that makes thinking about drawing digitally for me so challenging <clears throat> just like things end up taking a bit longer and, and decisions take longer and it's harder to get like confident. Oh, interesting. So like you that. think it, it takes longer? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, it depends. I mean, it depends. Obviously it mm-hmm. depends. It's like certainly the editing process is faster, but like the, you know, getting out like a first draft of a thing would definitely be faster if I was doing it traditionally. 
Um, yeah. But that also depends on the type of environment. I mean, with backgrounds, like I am definitely slow at drawing architecture, for example, and that would also be slow on paper. But um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if hand drawn comes back in a big way or not. You know, well, it won't come back in a big way, but if it comes back, and um, I think of David Lauer, if you know him. He does like stop motion stuff. He works with Woodrow White sometimes, but like I'm going to interview him soon. And he, you know, he just like does stop motion stuff. And I don't think there's a ton of people doing that anymore, but he just made his own studio. And I think that's a beautiful gesture. Again, it seems like something like that's going to die. And then it becomes almost like this highly sought after thing because very few people do it. Well, then he would die and then it would probably actually die. It's probably the cycle of these things, you know. Yeah. It's just a shame we'll lose. I think <clears throat> we're going to lose a lot more information than we think we're losing. I don't think that. I don't think that it will ever fully go away. I think those. I think those processes will remain fascinating, and people will. I mean, it'll it'll definitely go like super niche and will be very expensive. But I'm sure that there will be people who will fund, you know, projects in that realm and. And do that just because of kind of the novelty of doing it and the purity of doing it. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't imagine that will get phased out necessarily. Fully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the real question is, does it yield a different uh, result? And I think it clearly does. Like, even if we don't know it, when we draw digitally, there are a lot of differences in how, in how you think and, and I wonder what that adds up to be, but it might be why you crave the voluptuousness of a nice painting. For sure. That's a you know, just part a of it. Material. I think there's like, you can start to feel almost disassociative when you engage with dig- digital processes too much. For sure. For you sure. know, you I mean, look it's at also a, just like, it's also, it's like miserable for your eyes staring yeah. at the screen. It's just like, it's, it, it sucks the energy out of you in a way that, making art traditionally does not i mean that's definitely still an energy drain but it's not quite the same there's something hateful about staring at a screen all day yeah it's also pathetic from the outside yeah you know what i mean like uh just like that matters there's nothing romantic about it at all it's like i mean think about jerking off in front of a screen And zoom out just 10 feet. And it's not, it's, it. <laughs> and it's not that it's equivalent to that, but just an example, if there's a man jerking off in a tree in the medieval times, I don't mean that. <laughs> He's a star. <laughs> well, well, it's quite him. beautiful, actually. <laughs> it's, you know, the sun is out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's looking over a wall. That's an enviable there's, position. <laughs> but the coldness of the screen and I don't know it's, it's such a common act it's hard to forget how absolutely like dystopian yeah, like, it is t- terribly dystopian and like demeaning if you like and just like shame inducing when you yeah. actually like stop to think about what's occurring that's why I always appreciated the guilt of an Abrahamic God you know it's like this idea that someone's just watching you all the time. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, 
What are you going to do? I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this bug thing, man. <laughs> okay, so first of all, you know what the bug kid? Yeah, the bug kid. Well, I'm, I was just riffing, you know. I can yeah. definitely say I don't trust people who really like snakes, and I, by that I don't mean. They like to, like, there's little kids. They like, uh, Manon was telling me, like, she is a kid. He loves drawing bugs and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But then the moment a bug is near him, he just screams and runs away. So when I'm saying to love a bug, (laughs) you have to be a little more committed than I think what you're putting out there, right? Like, you like bugs. Yeah. But to what degree? Because if you say you like cats and you don't have a cat, or dogs, you would be suspicious. But no, it's just like it's just like being comfortable around it, and like and sort of devoting a little bit of time to understanding, like their role and the just like what rather than just seeing them as bugs, you know, of course, seeing them as as individual species and being being interested in sort of. Well, I resent that you call it machinery, but I understand because it's too mechanistic, right? Like, uh, I think part of respecting them is in some ways acknowledging they have something going on beyond that, if that makes sense. I don't like I I just I just I just mean I just mean in terms of like the functioning of the sort of. Yeah of the functioning of the concept of nature. I know we are a part of nature, yada, yada, but it's, it's just like, I just, I, I really do feel like understanding and being interested in, in those kinds of things is just a much less like egocentric, I guess, way to look at the world. Mm. I think you're saying because it's uh, anthropomorphizing. Like if you, you think if a dog is looks like it's smiling and you and you're a human and you're like, oh, it's smiling. There's something no. egocentric to that. No, no, that's different. different okay, thing, I think. Um, no, oh, I it's think functionality, kind of like uh, this thing's of no use to me. Supposedly, it might actually be of great use, but if the bug doesn't seem like it can be used in some sense. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think just like thinking of, of that sort of like a level of life as sort of disposable or, um, and you know, and I think I just mean to say that it kind of starts there. That's like bugs are something you have access to do access to like pretty quickly when you're a kid and you know, you like find a roly pulley and, you know, let it chill on your hand and look at it and let it crawl around and just like that kind of, yeah. Uh, I just, well, look, I've always liked bugs, um, for the record. But to give some context, when I'm saying there's a bug kid, kid is obsessed with bugs, or a snake kid, or... So, like, I think in some ways, I was trying to draw a ridiculous conclusion that if someone's, like, really close to reptiles, like they really love reptiles, you might want to watch out for them. Because there's something weird. <laughs> Why? Well, because, there's because a reptilian... biblical symbol. No, because the bottom part of our brain is more reptilian. There's some weird things going on there. And, like, they're cold. They're cold creatures. Uh, and But anything that isn't anthropomorphized is, seems cold. Well, look, a dog is a bundle of joy. And, like, you know, I hang out with my cat quite often. But a wolf is... is Wonderful. 
Well, no, a wolf is not wonderful. A wolf is terrifying, <laughs> but but it has its relationships and it has value. I'm just saying. Like, Do you think you can have a great relationship with um, a reptile? I don't think you can have meaningful relationships with most animals. And I'm just saying that doesn't really? render them. That doesn't render them. Uh, worthless. That's all that I, <laughs> I think getting at. They're not worthless, but I, all I'm saying is I think there's there's like personality. The way the, types. way the way the the way the snake relates to a human doesn't uh-huh. matter. And See this I this like. I fundamentally disagree with because I think there's like a kind of like I don't think you can ever make an argument outside of being a human. In fact, to do so I think is like pretense. Yeah, if that makes sense, like I don't think you can make non-human based or human centric arguments because you can't get outside of being a human. Does that make sense? So, wait, so all the arguments <laughs> are human centric, you mean to say? Yeah, I think the fact that I am a human, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's this is where I got I remember I was listening to Alan Watts once and you were like, I I like that you didn't like him. Because at the time I was listening to him, I thought everyone liked him. And uh, you were just like, I don't get it. It doesn't do anything. And I think why it doesn't do anything in hindsight is a lot of the ideas feel very um, like detached from what actually being a human is like. And for me, at least the way I was interpreting his stuff or Zen, which I don't think I interpreted correctly, but it just feels like really detached from the normal machinations of being a person and the biases of that and the humility of just being. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But I like, there's so much that's like such a blanket. You're, you're covering a lot of ground with that statement. (laughs) Certainly. And, And I don't think that like the normal machinations of being a human, and then uh, are are uh, necessarily at this time super functional. What do you mean? I feel I, I just feel like there there is like, I mean, it's clear to me that culturally, like we like disinterest in things like a bug mm-hmm. <laughs> is a is a is sort of laying the groundwork for disinterest in uh, sort of ecology, which is stupid. Well, it's stupid from even a human centric perspective. That's kind of my point is like, um, there's no avoiding that connection to nature. And of course, like you said before, we are connected, but we are also still limited to being that human thing that projects that humanness onto everything it looks at. And in that sense, science to me, uh, the objective of science to extract the subject out, the the subject and the object out is impossible. Uh, It's kind of. Well, yeah, I say, I say this all the time, which is that nothing, you know, nothing for, for this reason, for just because Mm -hmm. of these are all things I'm not saying these like I'm having a novel idea here, but, uh, <laughs> uh, Oh God, train of thought. Um, it's gone. It's gone. It's fucking gone. It. 
I lost it. Well, you know what? Like, Nausicaa is a film that obviously addresses this, right? Like intentionally he's using insects, but he's also not making them insects that are relatable. And he's trying to imbue them with almost a humanity. I don't want to say humanity because that would offend you in this context, but like he's giving them an importance. And uh, it's interesting that that film is just full of insects. Yeah. But what other film does that? You know, I don't. I think that's, I think that's exactly the point of the film though, is to draw, draw attention to the fact that this, that Nausicaa as a character is like, she is, she has this sort of like open tender, uh, you know, whether or not these beings can truly understand each other is sort of doesn't matter that much. The the fact is that she is just like compelled to show empathy for, you know, these, these things. And it's just like clearly the, the better way clearly of being right right she has a more holistic understanding whereas the i can't remember the name it's a t word but they are yeah they're seeking power over power destroying things she's seeking holistic solutions that would hypothetically better everyone's experience she's also doing it futilely uh, yeah. as the book gets into, but yes, uh, you know, we're talking about in some sense, two different things. I'm trying to examine the humans who attach to certain animals or species or types of creatures and making ridiculous judgments based on that versus the validity of these things and, and the necessity of these things. Although I would be lying. I don't purport to have a deep connection uh, at the depth I do with dogs and cats with uh, roly polies. And I do like the green inchworm. One of my sure. favorites. They're great. Um, yeah. Like but they're, they're really- alien, right? They're, they're so much more alien to me. Like I totally yeah. get looking at them from like, uh, what the hell? Like, what is that clicking? And I this think, thing I folds think, in that. I think the idea is just like that, like having curiosity is, and, and, and like, and, you know, and this is where science kind of comes in. I think there's plenty of room there to, like, develop fascination around. I mean, obviously, it's not for every mind. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, it seems to me that that's a better way to approach reality is to, like, be interested in the details of the world. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean... Especially from the mind of an artist. But, that's but, I, mean, funny. but I mean, I think, I think from the mind of anyone, I, I don't, I don't like, yes, it's certainly helpful. And maybe that puts you in a place where you're seeing more, but I just, if you're, I think seeing more is like inarguably better than not. Mm. I guess my expectations are quite low, you know, um, of people. Um, it's not of humanity. It's a, it's like, I believe there's almost a percentage of individuals with certain uh, sensitivities that are exist at any given time. And I feel like that percentage almost remains where it's like, you know, maybe 10% of people are really going to be interested in philosophical questions. 
And then there's people who are going to be really interested in the physical world and these little details. And then there's going to be like 80% of people who are social beings and genuinely like politics. They like getting riled up and, and divisiveness and they like being thrown into battle. And I don't mean that literally, but they like sure. to go to war. And I mean, that's depicted in all good stories, right? There's like a, a mob that doesn't know the right way. And there's one person that does. And typically they're martyred. Nausicaa is another good example of that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's unavoidable. Like I don't seek to make that 80% of people more attentive, but I also don't seek to make them have lesser attention spans via insane cartoons with big googly eyes. And like, like there's a responsibility to the artists to treat those people right, knowing that they might be susceptible to these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I well, think that yeah. is legitimately a responsibility. There's like a moral implication. Um, uh, well, I mean, I yeah, people I, also are very much a reflection of like the homes they grow up in and and the kinds of things that they intake as, as children. We are definitely a product of our experiences as children and not that we can't transcend those experiences but you know those i think those moments are what really you know certainly there's sort of intrinsic interests and and things like that but and and areas of of where people will lean but you know i think that there's a lot to be said for exposure to the right ideas at an early age. Certainly, certainly. And, but we know what's kind of perverse is I feel like people do all this elaborate shit to, they want to set this thing up for their children, make them watch the right show. And then the thing that impacts the kid could be so arbitrary, um, so shocking, good or bad and out of left field. Like I have memories that I don't understand why I remember them, but clearly that means that, affected me and it, it didn't seem there were always these peripheral uh, aspects of my childhood that only could be the benefit of like like in general you should be raised in a good household of course but the parents when they try to set the thing up i feel like it fails but but just by providing that environment that immersive thing yeah I mean, it's, it definitely, it's good there are some but i mean yeah it's like and that's i think this is where it comes into play like the more social child might be less interested in what the parents are doing, for example, but like, you know, treating kids like they're as intelligent as they are and sort of like letting them be somewhat involved in your interests and sort of setting, setting the stage for their interests is a, is not a, not a bad thing. And I know, the vast majority of people like ain't got time for that shit, but <laughs> I think they do now more and more. I don't think they know how to do it, but they certainly have time to be all over their children. And I think sure. that creates a different problem actually in a weird way because nature is receding and the, and the parent tries to replicate the impossible complexity of it sometimes. <laughs> and, and that's never going to work, but no, yeah, totally. I think it comes to maybe why we're, it's a more much more interesting audience. Like I'm I'm sure I hope to one of my ideas is to make a kid's book every year of my child's life 
maybe till they're like 10 or something, right? Maybe it's 30 pages. Maybe, maybe it's just trying to teach this particular kid, like, stop doing this shit through some kind of grim fairy tale, which would be funny. But, uh, (laughs) I think it speaks to, you know, you get in even the comic, comics community, fine art, whatever, like, it's a little boring to make work for other jaded 30 year olds or whatever. But when you start, when you start interacting with, um, children, and having nieces and nephews that becomes sufficiently inspiring and obviously Miyazaki's tackling that right like those movies are for well that's a kids. place for you that's a that's a that's a place where you really have power as opposed to you're not probably not going to change the minds of a 30 year old but you can shape the mind of someone who is whose mind is being shaped and like that's i mean yeah I, it just it seems like clearly uh, more noble, I guess. If done in a if noble done, way, it's certainly if, more noble. If done smartly and, and well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally subjective I, too, obviously. Like it's just it's who can say what's right, but you know, well, you can say what's wrong yes. and then that means the right exists, but you can't quite say what's right. Well, I feel I like mean, that's kind of how it goes. There's, there's just, People are so spectacularly different and yeah, you raise a kid to be attentive and, and and in the wrong household and he's going to get made fun of and be traumatized and then be a killer, you know? So, right, right. (laughs) And then his brother is like a perfect human. It's just, it's very interesting that dichotomy. Yeah. But I I think, uh, we got to do it for the kids, you know, when I, why, I just made a drawing for my, my nephew, when he was asked what he wanted for his birthday, the only thing he wanted was for me to make him a drawing. That's the coolest shit I've ever heard. That's a good kid. <laughs> yeah. He's a good dude. I love that. I, uh, and he, yeah, I have some ambivalence about incur and I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't tell kids to be artists, right? Like that's a pretty, I think I could guide a kid to be like a adult artist, but it's a very, I'm not a follow your dreams kind of dude, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think the hands-off approach and sort of, and like you sort of, I think leading by example more than like setting up activities is the, I think the probably, probably Mm. a slightly better, it's like indirect influence as opposed to direct influence that, that maybe is the the key. Right. Because, because the kid will want to be emulating, but, but like, uh, yeah, sort of like thrust things before them. Uh, just yeah, the and your expectations are, you know, getting upended, and you like get frustrated and things like that. Just like all those, all those social cues are just things that are kind of kind of like mess up the potential for the right kind of absorption to take place. Yeah, I mean, children want to emulate their parents, but they don't want their parents to know that they, you know are doing that at a certain point. So it is true. I think like it, it's more of a, I mean, frankly, that's how you persuade anyone. This idea that you can sit someone down, convince them of your political viewpoint and suddenly they're going to be on your team is, is fallacious. Like just be the person that you think should exist. Doing that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But in that sense, we could wrap it up with I mean, I want to come back to your grandfather. Okay. And what was his name? Harry Balmer. Harry Balmer. Yeah. 
And how often do you think about him? Um, semi-regularly. Um, I, you know, it's like I have a bunch of my dad's artwork in the house. And whenever I look at my dad's artwork, I think about him. So I, I guess fairly regularly. But do um, you look, did you look to him as a, did I, you understand what he was doing when you were young? No, no. I mean, like he, he was, he lived in Washington state and I was, I, I really didn't get to spend very much time with him, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, I spent all my time with my, uh, my mom's dad and that was a whole different set of values. And, and, uh, I like, I got a lot from him too, but yeah, Harry is like this kind of more like a mythical figure in, in that I, a lot about him. Um, but I knew he had a barn where he had a bunch of welding equipment and he was just like making art all the time and was like a Zen Buddhist and, you know, like ruled with an iron fist over his, his five boys. And five boys, they had a, they had like a nomadic childhood, you know, like he just traveled all around the United States and my dad and his brothers just, you know, grew up all over the United States. Well, wow. it's crazy. Um, and yet, you know, it's like you can tell that there's like deep trauma in that family that no one knows how to talk about. Uh, and I have no idea how to even ask or examine that. But, you know, it's a it's clearly like a there's a lot of stuff in there that I may never know. Like my, my grandma left uh, in the 60s to like go to San Francisco Grandma Sally, who's, you know, a wonderful human being, but just like couldn't do it anymore at a certain point mm-hmm. and, and left Harry with, with the boys. And, you know, like they, uh, they all clearly have like deep, weird abandonment <laughs> issues. And, and some of them like will, you know, openly resent her occasionally. And, but other times everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anyway, yeah, it's a it's a complicated it's a complicated story, but I think when it comes to you know, uh, it just it made uh, for me as a kid like being an artist even more viable, I guess. And you know, when when you see someone that much older than you sort of living that life, uh, you know, you just, you, you, you feel like it is a respectable way to live. Yeah. You, for one, you think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, that's why I ask is I don't, I don't resent this, but I don't have, I had no clear example in my family of that. And, um, you know, we're talking about the influence of children's minds and yeah, yeah, totally leading them to the right path. But yeah, none of that, and uh, I don't know what the impact of that is. I'm grateful to not have art parents. I can say that much. Sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel happy that I had the influences that I had. And, 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 and I do feel like ultimately my, my interests were fostered by that sort of indirect influence. So it's like, you know, my dad was just making work for himself and mm-hmm. I was fascinated by that would watch him. He would sometimes make work for me. Um, but it was never like, you know, sitting me down and being like, you draw now. Yeah. Or sending you to like art class or something. He would only teach me things if I asked. And that's fair. And, uh, you know, and it felt, it felt 
right. And then, you know, and then my dad was also very, a very like interested and sort of attentive human being, just loved nature, taught me to like be interested in everything, basically. Zoo books kid, for sure. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I feel I feel grateful for all that, I guess. And now you got to give it back. And now I got to give it back to the brats of America. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> well, good talking to you. I hope that the uh, ambient goblin show gets picked up. I hope so too. Very Let's nice. put it on the vision board. It's a pretty uh it's a pretty grim <laughs> Uh, place right now, animation. But, yeah? What do you mean? Well, like all the networks have been uh, canceling projects right and left. Like Netflix canned a bunch of, uh, you know. Really? Shows no. like well well into production and Cartoon Network just pulled the plug on a bunch of stuff. There's, like, idea merger, there's like mergers taking place and ah. s- streaming is proving to be more t- different than you know, people expect, but yeah, you know, like uh summer camp Island, that show that I worked on for, mm-hmm. you know, years, uh, that was on HBO max for a while. And then it just like got pulled. So they just, they took it down as, along with a bunch of other shows. So there's nowhere to like see this work that I, you know, made really? anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and then like, there was a, there are a bunch of episodes that still haven't even come out and we just like, have no idea where those are going to end up and like when they'll premiere or anything. So. Yeah. I mean, when I think of one of the worst fates for an artist, I think of, uh, Richard Williams and the thief and the cobbler. Just it's a deep, that's the most deep, tragic animation tale. I know of. I actually don't, know the full story but what was it just something that like the funding was pulled like really really late or yeah and if i recall correct i mean i think this was 20 years in production potentially i think he was like so perfectionist about stuff that i think he was probably pushing it and pushing it and so if i recall correctly a lot of those animators were then poached to make aladdin and that's why there's such similarity in all the designs you think about Jafar and the and the dude and the thief and the cobbler, the yeah. color of the skin and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, that's more like the genie. I'm mixing them up, but but then like they just chopped it up and and released it, and it was terrible. And uh, that's what's uh, fearful of that whole industry or anything that requires a lot of people. And that's why again Miyazaki's so impressive. It's like to to not only do that, but have your own studio and have control. I mean, yeah, this is a dream. A, it's a, of course it's a dream, but it is such a man. It's like it feels utterly impossible to replicate, and <laughs> especially, yeah. especially like in fucking Los Angeles or Burbank, <laughs> it's like that shit. You're not going to end up in a situation where you're getting to like make things on that level. Uh, yeah with that with those kinds of budget you know they do they do so much over there with so little those artists do not get paid well and it is fucking i like i would 
has you know knowing what what people go through for the pay that they receive mm. i would just like hesitate even to just <laughs> it almost makes me question animation as a whole as an industry because it's just like it's crazy you're like truly people are destroying their own lives and like their health and stuff to to create these absolutely undeniable works of art but just like tremendous suffering in in those movies i think right and you can work on a movie you don't even end up liking i mean it's just a it's just requires so much um trust it's unbelievable to me well yeah if there's anything i've fucking seen it's just like how how jaded working in animation also makes you about animation somewhat like mm. you know at a certain point you're just like okay i'm fucking sick of kids i'm sick of drawings <laughs> yeah all i want to do is unplug and like float in the sea well that sounds like you speaking specifically it is me speaking specifically. <laughs> but, well when i make millions of dollars i'll fund the goblin ambient track <laughs> cool i can that's wait. the goal i'm a very patient man yeah we got nothing but time fantastic all right all right well it's bedtime for both of us i think that's right i'm going straight to bed I'm going roller skating, actually. How dare you? All right. Well, enjoy that. Good talking to you. And uh, yeah, enjoy the roll. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. And next week, we have the man himself, Dory Bavarsky. (laughs) 